VOA News. This is Encounter on VOA. Here's Carol Castiel. Welcome to Encounter on the Voice of America. On this U.S. politics edition of the program, what do the recent gubernatorial elections in the states of Virginia and New Jersey tell us about the national midterm elections exactly one year from now? Hello again. I'm Carol Castiel. Even though Democrat Joe Biden won the state of Virginia last year by 10 percentage points, Republican candidate Glenn Youngkin defeated Democrat and former Governor Terry McAuliffe in this statewide election. Virginia, once a solidly red or Republican-leaning state, has become increasingly blue or Democratic-leaning in recent years. By holding its election for governor in what is known as an off-year, meaning one year after national elections and one year before congressional midterm elections, Virginia is often seen as a bellwether of what may happen in national midterm elections. If that is the case, Republicans have reason to celebrate and Democrats have just been given a wake-up call. Furthermore, in the dark blue state of New Jersey, the incumbent Democratic governor barely won re-election over his Republican challenger. So how predictive are the outcomes of the statewide elections for the 2022 congressional midterms? Historically, the political party, which holds the White House and both houses of Congress, which is the case for the Democrats, albeit with extremely narrow margins, usually incurs losses in the midterm elections. Despite the odds, Democrats would very much like to retain both houses of Congress, or at least one of them, to enact their legislative agenda. On the other hand, Republicans are relishing the opportunity to regain control of Congress. So what happened in Virginia and New Jersey? There were other interesting local and statewide races that may hold lessons for both Democrats and Republicans regarding their electoral strategies in the lead up to the all important midterms. Well, joining me via Microsoft Teams to discuss these and related issues are our veteran political analysts. John Fortier is resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, a conservative think tank here in Washington, and Jim Kessler, executive vice president for policy at Third Way. That's a center-left policy group also based in Washington. Gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Great to be back. Well, John Fortier, let's begin with you. Let's start with the Virginia outcome. Your takeaway from both the Virginia and New Jersey gubernatorial elections. What do the strategies, outcomes portend maybe for next year's midterms? It's an off-year election that has a few elections around the country, the big ones being the New Jersey and Virginia governorships, but also some legislative races, some other smaller local races. The big picture was Republicans did incredibly well everywhere. And in that way, it is something of a preview of the 2022 midterm elections. You rightly noted that When a party holds the White House, Democrats, Joe Biden is in the White House, that party doesn't do very well in midterm elections typically. The second factor, of course, is how is the president doing or how is the president and the economy doing? If in a midterm election, the president is doing very, very well, extremely well, there is a possibility of gaining seats. It's really only happened three times in the last 160 years or so. If we saw Joe Biden at 60% job approval ratings, you could expect maybe a small gain for Democrats. I think we were expecting some losses, but what the election in Virginia and New Jersey showed that Joe Biden right now has really dropped in popularity. Democrats are unpopular. COVID, the economy, the 
the inability to recover in a way that some people thought was possible at the beginning of the year, that the vaccine and everything was going to put us on a great path to just snapping back to prosperity isn't there. And there's sort of a sour feeling. And if Joe Biden is in the same position he is in today, next November, I think you can look for some very large losses on the Democratic side. Of course, if he does recover, the economy does better, maybe those losses will be mitigated. I see it very difficult to imagine that it will lead to Democratic gains. But the size of what happens to Democrats in 2022 is directly related to if things get better for Joe Biden broadly and the Americans feel good about uh, what's going on rather than the sour feeling they were having on Tuesday. Let me turn to you, Jim Kessler, for your take on Virginia elections, maybe New Jersey. What do these outcomes tell you? So let me agree with John by disagreeing with him by saying, first, I don't think it showed that Republicans did well everywhere. I think it showed that Democrats did horribly everywhere. And, you know, you look at the Virginia race, and this was a case where the nominee for the Republicans was someone who is definitely more palatable than a Trump acolyte. So he could be packaged as not being as extreme and certainly not as polarizing. And he won in a state that, you know, really, by all rights, Democrats should be winning in that state. But there were also races, and we were talking about this before we went on the air, where a Democratic state senator in New Jersey lost a race against a Republican who spent only $150 on his campaign And it was because people were repelled by what Democrats were doing. So that gets to the same conclusion, which is if Democrats don't right the ship, we are going to see disastrous midterms for Democrats in 2022, not just losing the House and the Senate, but losing it by really large margins, which is what happened to Democrats the last two times that they held the presidency. It happened in 2010 when Barack Obama was president, and it happened in 1994 when Bill Clinton was president, both Democrats. In those two midterm elections, Democrats lost a combined 117 House seats, and they lost close to 20 Senate seats. So that was really enough to change the direction of Congress and change the direction for the country. I'll just add one more thing to it. I believe the Democratic Party has moved left over the years. I believe we may have seen the end of that leftward move within the Democratic Party that may have just come to a halt in Virginia and New Jersey. Well, back to you, John Fortier, regarding what Jim said about maybe it's not so much how well the Republicans did, but how badly the Democrats did. Again, notwithstanding this is just a statewide election in Virginia in particular and New Jersey where the Democrat won by the skin of his teeth in an extremely Democratic-leaning state. So again, with regard to what Jim said about the differences between the so-called progressive wing of the Democratic Party and the moderates, many Democrats are saying, analysts just like Jim Kessler, that the low poll numbers for Joe Biden, some of which are a function of supply chain problems, inflation, the coronavirus pandemic, not quite where it should be with regard to vaccinations and some other opposition to mandates for vaccinations. Nonetheless, it may not be his fault, but he's taking the blame. And back to the question of the differences, many people are saying, and President Biden himself said, we need to produce results. You know, this is sort of a thinly veiled criticism of the so-called progressives who have been holding up this bipartisan infrastructure legislation, refusing to vote on it. 
until perhaps in recent days, which could have been a win for the Democratic candidate for governor in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe. He said, this is easy to say in retrospect, you know, if I had had legislation to run on, you know, that could have made a difference. Could it have made a difference in your view if the Democrats had gotten their act together and produced more results on Biden's agenda? Well, I think Jim and I do agree more, and you put it that it was essentially a referendum on the party in power. And I think that's true. Yes, Republicans did do very well, the party out of power. But when you're running not one candidate against the other, but in one of these midterm elections where you have all sorts of governors and other races, but the real issue is, well, we're reacting to who's in charge in Washington. We're reacting to the Democrats being in charge, whether fair or not, bad things happening, a bad, sour mood economy worries about COVID are going to be more attributed to the president. And the flip side of that, which I think Democrats rightly tried to use, but maybe too much, was did gubernatorial candidate in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, try to tie Glenn Youngkin too much to Donald Trump? Donald Trump is, of course, an extremely unpopular figure in the Democratic Party. I would say most of the time the party in the White House tries to do that, find some other boogeyman on the other side. Donald Trump is probably about the best boogeyman you could find for Democrats still getting them worked up, and yet he's not president. And so relying too much on that strategy to say, well, Republicans coming back, it's Trump, doesn't really deal with a fundamental problem that things aren't going well for the party in power. As for the progressives, you know, I think there is some mixed evidence. I'm not sure I'm quite with Jim that it's that categorical. Of course, across the country, there were some smaller local races and referenda where there was some pushback on the most progressive defund the police movements and others where you saw more moderate Democrats winning in some city elections and other places. I do think, though, the progressive caucus within Congress is obviously much stronger than it was. And I see just slowly over time, new members coming into Congress more likely to be on the progressive side, a smaller, moderate side. And the problem that Democrats are having the optics is that they have these incredibly narrow majorities. They have a more active progressive caucus within the Democrats caucus. And trying to get something done through that narrow majority in both houses, but especially the Senate, is very, very difficult when you have those kinds of pressures. You know, I think at the end of the day, they'll get something done. I'm not sure it would have dramatically affected the result of Tuesday's election. It's a good thing for Democrats to ultimately get done their program, mostly because they want to get things done, but partly to show some unity. But I think the bigger problem is, will the American people be viewing national Democratic leadership, Joe Biden, in a better way in a year than they are today? And that's, I don't want to say it's beyond his control, but it is a little bit based on larger factors as to the economy and are we coming out of COVID and are people feeling like things are going well? And passing a bill with some unity would be mildly helpful to that, but probably not the answer to all Democrats' problems. So back to you, Jim Kessler, to pick up on your point about how really the Democrats perhaps have only themselves to blame in many ways. And you always talk about the suburban vote and the women. And we saw in Virginia a reverse of a trend that you always talk about. That is that many suburban women, many of whom are Republican leaning and who shunned Trump, actually voted for the Republican candidate, Glenn Youngkin, because, look, He has a different tone. He didn't speak about Trump. He didn't campaign with Trump. And personally speaking, I got to tell you something. When I look at him, he looks like a little bit of an older version of the very liberal Justin Trudeau. Now, that's just me. But leave that aside. The point is, is what about the Republican strategy in a very wise way? 
this guy, Yunkin, to what extent will Yunkin be a model for other Republicans trying to distance themselves from former President Trump? You know, how much of a challenge will that be for Democrats? Well, this is why Democrats need to be worried. So first of all, the U.S. economy right now is really good. You know, it's growing at a good pace and jobs are increasing at a good pace and wages are going up and people's savings is higher and their own personal debt level is down. And if you are invested in the stock market, which about half of this country is, the stock market has hit 53 all-time highs in the year 2021 under Joe Biden's presidency. And so the wind should be at your back in this situation. And Democrats took such a drubbing because they look like such a mess right now in Congress. And I do believe that the loudest voices within the Democratic Party are the most progressive voices. And they are turning voters off and they're particularly turning voters off in the suburbs. And then you see that Republicans are experimenting with a new formula. So in certain states, if they can get somebody like a Yunkin, who may not be a Justin Trudeau, but he is not a Donald Trump either. And it's harder to paint him as a Donald Trump. So he's not scaring away suburban voters. If they can do that in these states that are more swing states, they can win elections there. Meanwhile, in the states that are redder, they can get hardcore Trump supporters nominated there, and they will, and those folks could win as well. So here you've got a situation where Democrats and Joe Biden, they need to pass these bills. They need to land these planes. We have this term in Washington, which is passing legislation is like making sausage. And we've been in this sausage factory for 10 months, and it's ugly. And once it's done, you've got a nice cooked meal, but they've got to get this done. It may have made a difference in the Virginia race. Who knows? But it certainly didn't help that major pieces of the Biden agenda hadn't passed. And then they've got to sell them, and they've got to focus on bread and butter, kitchen table issues that voters care about, their wages, jobs, new businesses starting, the cost of their health care, and things like that, and less on the sort of more fringe elements like defund the police, which hurt Democrats in 2020 and hurt them again in 2021. We'll have more in just a moment. But first, you're listening to Encounter on the Voice of America. Our guests are John Fortier. He's resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, and Jim Kessler, from whom you just heard, Executive Vice President for Policy at Third Way. And they join me via Microsoft Teams as we discuss the major issues dominating the U.S. political landscape and looking forward to the 2022 midterm elections one year from now. This is a reminder that our Encounter podcast is available on our website at voanews.com slash encounter. You may also follow us on Twitter at Carol Castiel. VOA or connect with us on Facebook. Well, here's a shout out to a new Twitter follower, Azadi from Afghanistan. If you want to hear your name and home country on the air, please send an email to encounter at voanews.com or like us and leave a comment on our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. Well, back to our program. Let me turn back to uh, John Fortier. John, uh, let's take a look at what is seen as a possible new formula for the Republicans, perhaps uh, looking at the victory for Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, as we said, he's a businessman. He's as far from Trump looking as anybody could be. And yet he certainly hit on some interesting themes that Republicans may be using in the you know run-ups to the midterms. We're seeing sort of a winning strategy regarding the emphasis on education and public schools, uh, you know, more parental control. That seemed to have been one of the issues in the Virginia race. What do you see are 
the winning issues for the Republicans? What is a strategy and where does Trump fit in to all of this? Well, first, I think it's important to remember that Republicans did well, Democrats did poorly sort of across the board. So while Glenn Youngkin and Republicans did very well in Northern Virginia and the educated suburbs, they also did fantastically well in the Republican rural parts of the state, turning out people and having even higher margins. So they really did well across the board. You know, in some states, New Jersey, where education wasn't so much an issue, they did very well there. But I do think this particular focus on the education issue has an interesting potential resonance. Republicans typically do not do well on education issues. Very few Republican candidates are the equal of Democrats and voters' minds about handling education. George W. Bush was years ago in a in sort of different formula. But Glenn Youngkin's numbers reminded of that, that he was able to be very competitive, even maybe ahead of Terry McAuliffe using that issue. I think, though, it was an interesting mix of maybe more traditional issues, plus some more populist conservative issues. One, you know, he's a businessman and he's willing to work on schools and spend money on that. Maybe that's not something that all Republican candidates have. But there's also this incredibly sour feeling, I think, coming out of COVID related to education. One, just simply, how did the schools do during COVID? How was online learning? And here in Northern Virginia, where I live, many parents to the progressive parents really were very unhappy with their schools. They just didn't perform. And then secondly, these issues of more parents maybe looking over their children's shoulders and seeing what was being taught in the classrooms and thinking, boy, the schools have gotten pretty woke or progressive and liberal. And maybe even for some of these progressive parents, maybe too politicized. And you know, some of those issues are hot button conservative issues and liberals can argue about them. But there certainly was a sense that the schools could use maybe back to basics, even in a, an educational way, but also maybe a less politicized school system. And so I think that's an interesting formula. Because he won, because he did so well in education in the polls, I think others are going to try to take that up. Now, will a year from now the schools be in a better place? Probably a decent chance they will be. But I do think those set of issues have been raised in a way that Republicans are going to try to replicate them in other suburban areas across the country. So, Jim Kessler, I'd like to get your view on this topic and the fact that education and public school curricula, you know, was a big issue in Virginia in particular. And we're hearing that Republicans may try to double down on opposing race and diversity curricula in public schools, seeing it as a winning strategy for the midterms to try to get back some of those suburban women voters that went for the Democrats last year. How do you see that? Because that could be problematic for Democrats, even if they pass the Build Back Better agenda, the bipartisan infrastructure bill. This is something that could tear the Democrats apart because many Democrats are, they're not opposed to parental supervision or contributions, but they see the need for greater diversity and so forth. So what do you, how do you see this? Well, I do think that Glenn Youngkin sees the education issue and there were two parts to it. As John said, one was COVID fatigue. And, you know, as we are defeating COVID, are schools still being too cautious on it? So that's part of it. And then clearly what was known as critical race theory, which frankly is not taught in virtually any public school in the country, but became sort of a boogeyman about wokeness and diversity. What I believe is happening right now in the country is that we are in the midst of a second civil rights movement that's very different than the first. The first was really led by individual leaders like a Martin Luther King, Thurgood Marshall, and organizations that had a plan and a destination. And this one is a lot more 
atomized and less organized. And I expect the country is going to be in a different place on race issues 10 years from now than where it is today and probably in a better place. But when we have these discussions of race, Democrats have suffered in the past, and I think they're suffering now from it. And America is willing to have discussions on race. It's never an easy discussion in this country. They're not particularly enamored with the way Democrats are handling this discussion. And I expect that some of this is a backlash to that discussion and that it shows up in a place like the schools. And let's be honest, there's never really been parental control of public schools in this country. We elect a school board. You can be in the Parent Teachers Association and weigh in there, but the schools teach what they teach and the parents usually don't have much say about it. Well, that's a good point. I think some Democrats are concerned that the use of this term critical race theory, which is sort of a theory that posits that we have some structural problems in this country regarding race, and yet it's not taught at the secondary school level at all. But the Republicans are sort of using that term to motivate their base. But nonetheless, as we close, back to you, John Fortier, any other final words regarding where we are at this moment, the lack of action on Biden's agenda or the very slow progress that's being made, to what extent that's going to be a factor in the coming weeks? Well, look, I I don't want to be too much of a doomsday sayer for Democrats, but I do think they have majorities right now. And so in some ways, there's a greater urgency to get something done because there's a pretty good likelihood that they won't have those majorities in the second two years of a Biden presidency and going forward. And so this is the big opportunity for them to still do something. Jim and I, I think, have always said it's a very messy process and it will continue to be a messy process of trying to pass this infrastructure bill, plus this other set of priorities, which involve taxing and spending, but other social priorities, which can get done by this narrow majority vote. I think at the end of the day, Democrats will finally sometime, maybe a little in the future here, get that done. And that will be mildly helpful to them electorally. But I think the bigger point is that they will get something done that they want to get done. And this probably is the last opportunity for working on the Biden agenda, unless things dramatically change next year. This election last week is a sign that either slightly better or slightly worse, probably the majorities are going to slide to Republicans and we'll have divided government as we often do. So this is kind of the last chance for Democrats to really work on an agenda that they've been talking about for a while, which I think they ultimately will get done. Well, you get the last word, Jim Kessler, and we are hearing you over the dog barking in the background, by the way. (laughs) But anyway, this is the last opportunity, in your view, for the Democrats to get something done. And then there's always the question of even if the Build Back Better legislation passes and the bipartisan infrastructure bill, you know, there are questions about voting rights, the so-called filibuster, that parliamentary procedure that blocks a lot of important legislation in the Senate from passing, such as voting rights and any kind of reform for police, both issues extremely important to Democrats. Yeah, so I think this is one of the problems that Democrats have, because they've been talking about a lot of these issues. They're very, very important. Voting rights, filibuster. But it's not about the number of shots on goal that you take. It's about the number of balls you put in the net. And we are not going to put a voting rights bill in the net. We do not have the votes to do it. We are not going to eliminate the filibuster. We do not have the votes to do it. So you've got to focus on the things where you're going to be able to put the ball in the net or at least have a reasonable chance of putting the ball in the net. That's the infrastructure bill. 
That's the Build Back Better bill that includes some climate provisions and tax reform and other middle class tax cuts. And there may be a few other things that can get done. There's a China competitiveness bill. Get those things done. Talk about the things that you're getting done. Talk about how well the economy is doing and how it's getting the economy moving in the right direction. And stop talking about the things that you're not going to get done because it just looks like you're ineffectual there. The Democratic coalition is complicated. It is filled with all sorts of different racial and ethnic groups. It's more ideologically diverse. And they have legitimate interests. But if you're not going to be able to get it done, you've got to move it to the back burner and not keep it on the front burner. On that note, gentlemen, that's all the time we have on this politics edition of Encounter. I'd like to thank you both, John Forty, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and Jim Kessler, executive vice president for policy at Third Way. Gentlemen, thanks again. And we will resume our conversation in December. Encounter was produced in Washington with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week for another Encounter on The Voice of America.